Hello and welcome to Blueprint, our responsible manufacturing video podcast. My name is Björn, I'm driving the sustainability agenda at EOS and I'm happy to be the host of this podcast. This is episode three and we're going to talk about the industry first carbon neutral polymer powder for 3D printing. Quite a few organizations and people have been involved in making this project a reality and a few of them I have invited to join me for this episode. One of them is Sam Houston. Sam, thanks for joining us today here. Uh, happy to have you. Can you please shortly introduce yourself, your role, but also ALM as a company? Sure. So my name is Sam Houston. I'm the senior manager of ALM Global here at EOS. And I actually had the opportunity to move from North America about two years ago to expand ALM's offering to our European customers as well as other uh, customers around the globe. So essentially what ALM does is they partner with organizations and companies to figure out their 3D printing application needs, and then they come up with a material to deliver to these requirements. Thanks, uh, and it's great to have you. ALM just recently announced uh, its first carbon neutral polymer powder, and it's actually the industry first carbon neutral powder for SLS uh, technology. Can you tell us a little more about it and what were the reasons uh, to develop this? Of course. So responsible manufacturing isn't just a motto that we use at ALM or EOS. It's something that we want to put into action. So we're always trying to find ways to evolve our technology and our processes, and we want to reach higher levels of sustainability. And one of the ways that we're doing this is by continuously working on new materials. Uh, we're working on materials that offer biodegradability, um, of course, more materials that are biosourced. Um, however, this process does take a little bit of time. So it's one, this carbon neutrality process of materials is one way that we're bridging the gap until these new materials are available. And that's really interesting. And I'm happy we're digging a bit deeper into that uh, in a second. But can you tell us what polymer powders are we talking about exactly? So we came up with two carbon neutral materials to start with. Um, they are both nylon 11. One of them is called the PA802CF, um, a carbon fiber with uh, reinforced stiffness. The other one is the 820MF made with a mineral fiber that helps with higher temperature resistance. As a matter of fact, I did bring um, this part with me. As you can see here, it's just a, a little part that we can give away to, to people. Um, it's also very fun when you're going on long trips on a train or a plane, you can um, sit back and watch Netflix. Very good. Uh, thanks for sharing and showing. Um, how does the powder become carbon neutral actually? Can you share a little bit about the process behind it? Yeah, that's a good question. So before we um, figure out how we get the material certified, um, let's explain what carbon neutrality is. So it's basically a business operation to reduce their carbon dioxide footprint. Um, in a way where it achieves, where it's almost emitting no more than it's offsetting. So uh, this is essentially producing uh, a zero net emissions for carbon dioxide. And then how ALM then went about doing it for the material is they worked with the Fraunhofer Institute through the, the production, the sourcing, and the delivery. Then we partnered with Arkema, um, who sells a nylon 11 material that's biosourced and we are improving our um, carbon footprint at ALM on ways that we manufacture these materials. 
Um, and then lastly, we are working with the gold standard carbon credits um, with a company called My Climate to help offset the final emissions that we do produce. So that, that looks like really, as I said in the beginning, quite a few organizations and people were involved in this uh, big projects. And for some of them, we will hear uh, later on. You said that uh, ALM invested in gold standard carbon credits, uh, but also you have uh, invested in own reduction measures. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more what you've done there? Yeah, that's correct. So we invested in solar panels so we can manufacture our materials and reduce our carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have learned that the, the raw material is produced by uh, Arkema, and, but then what magic is added on the ALM side, let's say, to make it a special 3D printing powder? So ALM has the know-how to figure out how to make these materials run in industrial 3D printing machines, which in and of itself isn't so easy to do. There's a lot of variables that go into these machines. Um, but essentially what they do is they come up with a formulation, then they produce the ingredients, and then um, they can manufacture and then deliver the materials to our customers. And I really think this is kind of a special, unique thing in the 3D printing industry. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And uh, you said it's carbon neutral. So mm -hmm. uh, as a customer, yeah, I mean, how do you prove it to me that this is really carbon neutral? Yeah, so we didn't just make this up. We did verify this with the uh, um, Fraunhofer Institute, like I said, through our life cycle analysis, mm -hmm. and then the certificate by the TUV according to the PAS 2060 standard. Mm -hmm. So th that's very good to hear that it's a solid, uh, solid certificate as well uh, behind it. Sam, can you tell us a bit, little bit more about the materials and the properties itself? Yeah, so first of all, um, one of the benefits is it offers uh, a lower environmental impact and it consumes fewer renewable uh, resources than a lot of the materials that are currently being used in the market. They also offer better mechanical properties such as ductility, um, impact resistance, and even uh, thermal resistance. Um, but the beauty of these materials is they serve a wide range of applications. I've seen these materials go to companies that are working on lifestyle products, also automotive and even aerospace applications. Mm -hmm. And of course, these are not just for our customers in the US, they can be sold to our customers all over the world. That's a good message, uh, thanks for that. And last question, you said it's, it's PA11 based. Mm -hmm. uh, was there a special reason why you chose PA11 to be the first uh, material that was made carbon neutral? By working with Arkema um, sourcing the Nylon 11, um, it's a sustainable uh, farming method through the castor bean. Um, then it's certified sustainability, it offers lower carbon emissions, and those are pretty much the main reasons that we decided to use this uh, in our sustainability project for the materials. Thank you, Sam, for sharing so many interesting insights. And there's a lot more uh, to talk about that. And I think there was a perfect overlap to the next interview we will have with Akema to talk a little bit more uh, in detail about the PA11 powder and how it is produced. Uh, thanks again, Sam. Um, and uh, yeah, good luck with, the, with this project and hope lots of customers will find it interesting. Of course, my pleasure. And I hope they do as well. Thank you. And now we do this more inofficially. This is my, our nice ah. little hummingbird and a t-shirt. I hope it's the correct size oh, uh, for you. Thank you very much. Now I'm really happy to welcome our second guest for today's episode. And this is Charlotte Herd. 
Charlotte is working with Akema, which is one of our powder suppliers. And she is based in France, in Paris. Actually, that's why we meet her virtually today. Hello and bonjour, Charlotte. Uh, we're really happy to have you with us today uh, for our uh, podcast. Can you please shortly introduce yourself and also tell us what your role is at Akema? Hello, Björn. Good morning. Uh, so I'm Charlotte. I've been working uh, for Akima since 2008, and currently I'm the sustainability program manager for the specialty polyamides at Akima. My job is to manage different projects that aim at improving the sustainability of our materials. And another very exciting part of my job is to help our customers when they have sustainability-related questions or projects. And that's also how we came together, right? So, and Akima is, is supplying uh, us with PA11, which is a bio-based material. To start, can you please describe the difference between a bio-based and a biodegradable plastics? Yes, um, it's a very common question, actually. And um, bio-based materials is material that is made using renewable sources like plants. Whereas biodegradable uh, materials, they are materials that are designed uh, to be degraded by the microorganisms in the environment. Bio-based materials, they are less than 1% of all uh, polymers manufactured today. And some of the biodegradable materials, uh, they are fossil-based. So there can be some confusion. When it comes to polyamide 11, it's a bio-based material made from castor bean, and it is not biodegradable. Mm -hmm. And are there any plans to also develop a biodegradable PA11? So that would be bio-based and biodegradable, but is that at all possible? Um, in fact, polyamide 11 is inherently durable, which is why it's used in so many diverse markets uh, from consumer electronics, sports, uh, automotive, and those are mostly applications where the end user wants it to last. So in such cases, uh, recycling uh, is a more sustainable option for the end of life. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, uh, our customers and your customers do not want uh, that the material uh, biodegrades while it is still in use. Yeah, okay, I can understand that. Um, can you explain in a bit more detail how castor beans become plastics? Because you said PA11 is made out of castor beans, which is a plant. So it all starts with... This kind of bean, uh, they are cultivated in India, and uh, we crush them. And with the crushed bean, we get an oil that looks like many different vegetable oils. This oil is our raw material at Arkima. We process it in our plant in Marseille, in France, and make the monomer out of it. So it looks like a powder. And then uh, this monomer is then transformed into, some, into our polymer plants to make either powder in your case, or pellets like that for other kind of uses. It really depends on what we want to do with the material. Mm -hmm. And so, so the production of the plant or the, the growing of the plant is in, in India. Uh, we'll come to that uh, later. And the production of the powder then takes place in France, um, which also means a lot of shipping, right? So do you also have plans for other production facilities? We actually have a major expansion projects uh, ongoing. Uh, one is the combined monomer and polymer production plant uh, in Singapore that is expected to start mid-2022. 
and a powder uh, production extension uh, that will start early 2023. Uh, the idea by having expansions in Asia is to come closer uh, to some of our customers that are located there. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, uh, I guess. Um, also, one more question with regards to the castor bean. I mean, why did you pick especially this plant as a raw material for your product? Um, the polyamide 11 was invented 75 years ago. Uh, the researchers were tasked with uh, making a polyamide without using fossil, uh, fossil oil. Uh, they were investigating castor for other projects at the time and, uh, and found out it was a very suitable candidate. It's a very nice raw material for bio-based uh, because it grows mostly in India where it's cultivated marginal soil, uh, is pretty draft resistant, uh, does not pose competition to food, it's not an edible oil, and is also very profitable for the farmers who cultivate uh, this bean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And you're not just buying the castor beans in India, right? Uh, but with the Pragati project, uh, you're also making a social contribution. Uh, it would be really interesting to hear a bit more about this uh, project uh, and what you're doing there. Sure. Um, Akima is, a, is one of the founding members of the Sustainable Castor Association uh, that was launched in 2016 and, uh, and uh, under which Pragati uh, project has been launched. Uh, the idea is to improve uh, the yield, soil fertility, working conditions, uh, and the farmer's income uh, through deployment of best agricultural practices, waste management practice. Um, as of today, a bit more than 5,000 800 farmers uh, have been trained and uh, castor cultivation in general profits more than half a million families. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that's really, I think that's really a cool uh, part of, of this powder of, of this project that you have a social uh, contribution in the area where this is grown. And in addition, uh, you also support the local community uh, in the Palampur district of Gujarat, uh, which is in Western India, where the Pragati project is based. Uh, and you, rec uh, you recently recognized students and customers with your first Castor Scholarship Award. Uh, also, Ailes was happy to be awarded. Uh, thanks again. Um, can you please tell us what this award is all about? So this award, uh, the idea was to give back to the community uh, and at the same time to celebrate sustainability with the customers that, that are the most engaged in this path with us. Uh, EOS, uh, with this project for a carbon-neutral polyamide 11-based material, was, of course, a great candidate for the award, and we were very proud uh, to, uh, to award you the ALOK Award, which means enlightenment in Hindi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. I think that was a, a nice project that we did together. And also, thank you very much for being with us today, uh, Charlotte. And looking forward to more sustainability projects together with you and together with Akema. And uh, yeah, thanks for being our guest today. And as every guest, you also get a T-shirt from us, which is, uh, I'll just show it uh, into the camera, which is our T-shirt with our hummingbird, which is the sign for responsible manufacturing, and also a little 3D printed uh, hummingbird. And we will send this to you uh, in the mail. So you should get it uh, very soon. Once again, thanks a lot, Charlotte, and uh, see you next time. Thanks for having me, Bjorn. Um, see you soon.
The past two talks confirmed uh, that at least for the moment, there is no better solution than to compensate carbon emissions that yet cannot be avoided or fully reduced. And that means that we need to learn more about the concept of carbon offsetting or carbon com uh, compensation. Uh, that's why I'm really happy to welcome our third uh, and last guest of today's episode, Kai Landwehr. Uh, he's working for the nonprofit organization My Climate, with which we partnered in their climate neutral in the climate neutral powder project. And My Climate is based in Zurich, in Switzerland, and that's why we are meeting Kai virtually today. Hello, Kai. Thanks for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at MyClimate, and also the foundation in general? Yeah, hi, hi Bjorn. Greetings from Zurich. Ha thank you for having me. Yeah, as I mentioned, my name is Kai Landwehr. I'm the head of marketing and I have also the role of press officer at MyClimate Foundation. We are a Swiss-based NPO founded 20 years ago by a couple of students from the Swiss Technical University, the ETH, here in Zurich. And we consider ourselves as a solution provider and as a partner for climate protection and for sustainability for companies as well as, as for private individuals. That's really interesting. And that was also uh, new to me that you were founded by, by students. So uh, uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, let's start from a from bird eyes view. How do you enable climate protection? How does it work? So we as an organization, we focusing on the avoidance of CO2 emissions. CO2 means greenhouse gas emissions. The reduction of existing CO2 emissions, of existing footprints. And last but not least, we offer uh, voluntary carbon offsetting for companies and also for private individuals. So the avoidance is done by our educational department. We run several projects and these projects, they don't aim for teaching climate change, how climate change works. It's more about sensitizing and talking about opportunities, opportunities in your private and also in your business life. And to think about the, the CO2 footprints of these opportunities of decision A versus decision B. So we hope by spreading this information, by spreading this knowledge, by building up this capacity, that people will rather take the more climate-friendly decision. Our second so-called business pillar is called consulting and solutions. And this is a large variety of services for companies. They focus on analysis and calculation of CO2 of greenhouse gas footprints. So it's corporate carbon footprints, product-related carbon footprints, life cycle assessments of products, and also helping companies by reporting and also with benchmarks. So these, all these information we provide, all these services, should be a guidance for companies to reduce their CO2 footprint. So if you don't measure, you cannot manage. But if you have measured your CO2 footprint, then you know where you can, where you have the low-hanging fruits for the reduction of your CO2 footprint and where are, let's say, the, the longer projects. And last but not least, we were one of the forerunners of voluntary carbon offsetting. So we give also the opportunity not only to reduce the CO2 footprint, but also to take on responsibility for your CO2 footprint and support climate protection worldwide that save or capture CO2 emissions. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's really impressive. I think uh, how holistically you are targeting the whole topic. Who are your customers and your stakeholders? Yeah, we have two main groups of customers or stakeholders. So first of all, we have private individuals. So each and everyone can visit our webpage. It's free of charge, co2.myclimate.org. And there you can calculate the CO2 footprint, the CO2 emissions, let's say for your holiday flights or your annual car travel or for your annual household emissions. And then you get some a piece of information, but you have also the opportunity to take on responsibility for these emissions and offset them with our project portfolio. But most of, especially the offsetting is done by companies, by companies of almost each size and almost from each industry. Because we can calculate the CO2 emissions from service providers as well as from production companies. And so we offer also the opportunity to offset and maybe to become a climate neutral company or to uh, to sell a climate neutral product, like in your case. And mm-hmm. um, coming back to the like the nitty-gritty details, the residual emissions of our powder were offset to make it a climate neutral product. Could you explain us how this is done and what are the benefits uh, for us, for the end user of the powder, and of course for the climate? Yes, sure. So first, it's everything starts with the calculation. So we we've tried to understand how your product uh, is produced. So where what are the raw materials? Where do they come from? What are the processes? What are the transportation ways? So what is happening within the supply chain? And also afterwards, what is happening within the value chain? So what? So we try to, to tackle everything and to learn everything about the products until it reached the end customer. And then we do a calculation. And the, the first result of the calculation that you have also more information about your product. So that might help you to take decisions to reduce uh, the CO2 footprint of your product and maybe to make your processes even more efficient. But then you decided, okay, now we have this result, we will offset it. So behind each and every ton of CO2 produced by your product, you put a price tag and with the money you pay or the money you transfer to us, we support projects worldwide or in your case, a specific project in Ethiopia that saves at least the same amount of CO2 emissions so that the overall balance is zero because the climate is a global system. It's a global system. So the climate doesn't care about borders. So for the climate, it doesn't matter where CO2 emissions occur or where they are, where they're reduced. The overall balance is really important. So if you calculate the emissions of your product and if you decide to offset it and make it climate neutral, then it's, of course, it's beneficiary for the climate. It's also good for you as an organization, as a company, because you learn more about your project and you get ideas how to make it even better. And for your customers, it's also maybe a very good argument to say, I buy this specific product from a company who who takes on responsibility for a CO2 footprint so I can buy a climate neutral product. So it's a trivial win situation. Okay, um, before we go into into our project, maybe can you tell us a bit about the climate projects you are working on in, in, in general? Uh, what do they look like uh, and also where are they located? Is, is it just one region 
uh, you're working or is it globally? Okay, I start with the second question. So our projects are spread globally. Most of them, I have to admit, are in developing or emerging countries. This is due to the former political framework of the Kyoto Protocol. So due to this uh, framework, you could only establish projects in developing and emerging countries, not in industrial countries. But now with the no new rules from the Paris Agreement, we have also projects in Switzerland, for instance, or in Germany within our portfolio. So and how do these projects work? These projects, so they could replace fossil energy or non-renewable energy with renewable energy. So like in your projects, what we talk about later. Or secondly, they could care or guarantee a more efficient use of energy, of energy sources. A typical, a typical example for a project like this is an efficient cookstove project where people usually cook on open firewoods and uh, you build a cookstove there. And so these people have a, a less demand for, for firewood, for wood especially. All these projects can save methane gas emissions. And last but not least, you can also support projects with take the, that take CO2 emissions back out of the, of the atmosphere. So many people know uh, reforestation projects, trees need the CO2 from the atmosphere and they capture the CO2 from the atmosphere uh, so that they could grow. So if you plant thousands of trees, then you will also take a considerable amount of CO2 out of the atmosphere. But there are also other solutions like soil enhancement projects or seagrass projects uh, that do more or less the same. And there are also technical projects, so machines, technical solutions, which also captures CO2 out of the but they're from the amount amount wise they're pretty small at the moment and they're currently not in our portfolio mm -hmm. so it sounds like there's a whole range uh, of different uh, uh, different project types that you're supporting now of course what would be interesting um, for us to hear is uh, or for our audience to hear is can you uh, if you describe our project and we support it uh, to actually achieve climate neutrality for the 3D printing powder. Yes, absolutely, because it's a great project. So you support a project that is located in Ethiopia and also in Kenya. And the idea behind this project is to distribute, to sell solar home systems in villages in rural areas. So these solar home systems, so maybe you know them, so you might have one in your Schreber garden, for instance. So these are just small solar panels that you put on the roof of a house or of a, of a hut there and then this solar panel generates enough energy to uh, load your devices to to run electrical lamps for instance maybe also to run a fridge there so especially in these countries like ethiopia you don't have a centralized energy supply uh, energy supply system like here in the european countries so especially in the rural and the remote areas, the people depend usually on generators, generators run by diesel, for instance, or they use lamps that are fueled by kerosene. So with these solar panels, you replace these fossil energy-driven technologies by a clean, clean and very reliable technology there. And this is a lot, has a lot of co-benefits for the people living there in these villages. Mm -hmm. And how do you find these projects? Uh, I mean, you have 
project scouts out there traveling the world looking for these uh, for, looking for the challenges that need to be solved or maybe also are the projects finding you yeah it's both so sometimes the project finds us sometimes we find the projects we don't have a team of international carbon scouts we have one employee in south america and one in kenya but we we uh, capitalize on our 20 years track record. So within the project developers landscape, the people know my client. But what is very important that each and every project starts there, starts there locally within a community. So it's not kind of a climate imperialism where people from middle Europe come to these developing countries and say, hey, that's the way you have to do this and because it's good for the climate. So usually it's people from their communities, people who want to give something back, back to their people, but also back to nature. And they, they know, hey, what we do here, if we distribute efficient cookstoves, if we set up a, a system that provides rural um, areas with solar energy, this will be also beneficial for the climate. And maybe we can also establish a carbon offset project from this. But if you decide to do this, this is super complicated. Highly bureaucratic, a lot of paperwork. You have to uh, organize stakeholder meetings. You have to do market analysis so that you don't crash into existing work and markets and that you don't, don't erase jobs there, for instance, like this. So this is a very complicated, sophisticated. And so we enter in these projects on a very early stage and we help these project developers that their idea could come to life and could be successful over a course of seven or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of work needed actually to get that uh, started and you're involved uh, in this right from the beginning. Now, the logical next question in, in my head is how do you evaluate then the positive impact uh, of a project? So not just uh, that you can do it at all, but what is uh, how to evaluate the positive impact with regards to climate protection? Yes, so there is a standardized methodology for do this. So what we are looking after in the framework of these methodologies from the gold standard, for instance, but also uh, within our internal due diligence process is, first of all, we check the addition additionality of a project. So a project, a carbon offset project has to be additional. So if it's a project which would work perfectly from the beginning from an economic perspective, there is no reason to support this with climate finance. If this is a project which fulfills requirements by the local uh, governments, for instance, so that you have to do this, there's also no reason to support it with climate finance. So it has to be a good idea which could not start or which could not scale due to maybe for investment issues or that people have prejudices, for instance. It's about additionality. The second check is about the possible CO2 saving impact. So does this project really makes an impact? So maybe you have a very good idea, but at the end, if it only saves 50 tons of CO2, and then you have all these administrative costs following this, the, the methodologies, you can say, okay, maybe it's, it's not a good idea to support this. So you have to check the impact carbon-wise. And last but not least, it's super important, you have also checked the impacts, the other impacts on the sustainable development goals. So does this project create jobs? Does this project uh, save uh, natural habitats? Is this an enhancement for the hygienic situation, for instance? So we 
check all these all these points and if you think yes there's a very good project for the climate a lot of impact it's additional and it's had a lot of co-benefits for people and nature then we decide to support this project mm -hmm. okay so there's, there's actually much more behind it than, than one would think uh, in the beginning uh, nevertheless sometimes carbon offsetting is also referred to as greenwashing um, and I guess you have heard this question uh, before, but what is your answer on this? Yes, I have heard these questions a hundred, a thousand times. I don't know. So first of all, I think the, the term greenwashing is heavily overused. So many claims for greenwashing, from my very personal perspective, have no real greenwashing behind. So yes, there might be some black sheep having some small fig leaf projects do fantastic communication about, uh, about this and claim themselves as being green, but having a huge CO2 or huge environmental footprint uh, on the other side, yet yeah, maybe, maybe there are some companies doing this. But in times like this, I would not recommend such a high reputational risk for companies to claim themselves green when they're not when they are not agreeing. So what most of the time when you hear greenwashing, you see that these might be companies who have a considerable CO2 footprint, but try to do something against it. And usually climate protection, and you know it from your company, so this is not a sprint. This is a long distance race. You have to start with the first two steps. And yes, you can communicate this. It's absolutely fine. If you have a long-term CO2 reduction strategy, and it's pretty easy to say, oh, that's greenwashing, but uh, sometimes the people, they don't see the process behind it. So this is about greenwashing. And also about um, offsetting, many people say, hey, it's just buying yourself a good consignment. So you create CO2 emissions, and then you pay a bit of money, and then you, you, you pass this to other people, maybe you know, in developing countries. But it's also, from my perspective, it's not the case. CO2 offsetting is a really powerful, immediately working tool for CO2, for climate protection if it's done wisely. So it's not the idea to drive 365 days with your SUV and flying uh, every second weekend to Barcelona or to London for a shopping trip and then say, okay, then I'll pay the price uh, and do offsetting. Okay, this is better than nothing, but these are not the emissions. These, these are avoidable emissions. You can take the plane, you can live a more sustainable life. But especially for companies, producing companies like yours, so you, you will have a CO2 footprint. You can as good as, as you could, but at the end, you will still have a CO2 footprint. And then you can decide, okay, it is like it is, or I take on responsibility for my footprint and I pay a price for it. So I don't externalize the costs for the society and for the environment. I internalize it. I take on responsibility and decide to offsetting. And if you do this, combined with reduction measures, then it's a very powerful way to do climate protection. Mm. Okay. Now, looking, looking into the future, what do you expect? How will the carbon compensation market develop? So, uh, looking, looking at a glass ball, um, I'm pretty sure that the carbon markets will continue to grow. They're growing heavily at the moment. So, or not at the moment, since two or three years, we have kind of a gold rush within the market because many, many companies 
uh, are interested in carbon offsetting. So there's a huge demand. And so you have naturally more suppliers entering this market. But this will continue. So uh, according to our CO2, carbon offsetting uh, or tons of CO2 could become something like a commodity within the next years. But there is kind of a biological or natural end for this process. So in 2030 or 2035, we will see a totally different offsetting market. Because at that time, we could no longer support mitigation projects, which reduces existing CO2 footprint, because each and every country has its own CO2 reduction goal. And it's very, very good and super important that we give them kind of a push in the start by supporting these projects. But in 2030, 2035, we have to put everything in motion to reduce our existing CO2 footprint. But then there will be still a need for carbon capturing projects, for nature-based solution projects. So especially in industries like the aviation industry, you will not have 100% climate neutrally, uh, neutral flying in 2035. So you will still have areas where you have to clean up afterwards by supporting, by, uh, by scaling up uh, natural or even technological CO2 things. So I think this will be development, a growth and then a change in the market. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, thanks for sharing your, your, your thoughts on this. Uh, we really we will uh, we will follow it, of course. Uh, and also, thank you very much for being with us today, uh, Kai. Thanks for your uh, for joining us today. And as we plan to enlarge our climate neutral offerings at EOS, I'm looking forward to more joint projects uh, with you. Uh, and of course, like all of our guests, you will get a. Uh, T-shirt with our 3D printed hummingbird, uh, our symbol for responsible manufacturing uh, on it, and we will send it to you, and we hope you will like it and enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kai. And that was it for our third episode on the Industry First Climate Neutral Polymer Powder. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have questions or ideas for future topics, please get in touch with us. We look forward to welcoming you for episode four. Until then, take care and stay responsible.